Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. So as we continue to walk uh, through the pre-Advent time, studying St. Paul's writings, excerpts from his writings, um, we're going to go to 1 Timothy today. Around 65 AD, St. Paul appointed a young man who'd been traveling with him who'd been discipled by him, to stay and oversee Jesus' church in Ephesus after Paul left. His name was Timothy, and he's also known historically as St. Timothy the Evangelist. His mother and grandmother were both followers of Jesus. You have that picture, Haley, you can throw up there? This is Rembrandt's rendition of Timothy laying against the bosom of his grandmother. We don't know for certain if his father was a believer, but we do know that he found a spiritual father in St. Paul. So much so that Paul referred to him as Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, Paul's strategic reason for leaving him in Ephesus was to shepherd the flock there, charging him, Timothy, to lead them in love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Nevertheless, even though he was faithful, there were some who swerved from this and were embracing and promoting false beliefs and false teachings, adding or taking away from the gospel that Paul had taught them. In the section we're going to look at today, Paul's going to reiterate simple, clear truth in hopes of helping his younger protege stay a good course and, in the process, charge and help others to do the same. As we look at it, I hope that we will gain some insights as to how we might orient and, as needed, reorient some of our thinking so that we, too, might embrace and walk in love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's pray and then look at it together. Father, humbly and boldly, I ask that you would help the words of our mouths and the thoughts and the meditations of each one of our hearts be pleasing to you. King Jesus, our rock and our redeemer, open our eyes and ears, Holy Spirit, and teach us your people so that we together look Act, walk more like our King. We pray in His name. Amen. So I'm going to start in verse 12 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. I thank Him who has given me strength, Paul says, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly, listen to this, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy 
because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with a faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Some weeks ago, we looked together at the Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, who Paul was known as before following Jesus, when he was confronted by Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And I made this statement about Saul's call in that moment, his, his repentance, and his beginning of life in Christ. I said this, whoever you are, whoever you've been, Whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, you are not beyond the redemptive reach of God. God is God. We and everything else are not. And we are not beyond His reach. Today, we're hearing that very sentiment from St. Paul himself. Paul was, by his own confession, a blasphemer. He was a rabid persecutor of the church and an insolent opponent to the gospel, the good news of the coming of Messiah Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return. His unbelief made him ignorant to the truth, yet the grace of our Lord overflowed for him, filled him with the faith and love that are ours in Christ Jesus, and he received mercy, mercy that gave him strength and caused him now to be judged faithful, faithful to the point of now serving the king he once so violently opposed. I've said time and time again, this is maybe the greatest 180 in history. God saved Paul to call him into the life for which he was created to fulfill his God-ordained purpose in the world. And this is something true for any of us who come to follow Jesus. Listen to St. Paul's words in another letter. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's redemptive reach not only saves us from a brokenness, a sinfulness, an ignorance, it saves us unto becoming who He created us to be in the first place. That's Paul's story, and that's the message for all followers of Jesus. Let's continue to listen to his testimony about it. He says this, verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's response to false teaching in his own personal testimony is straight up. He's simple, to the point, and so clear. You can trust what I'm about to say to you every time. Jesus is the Messiah who came from the throne of heaven into the world to put on our flesh and save us, even people like me. That's what Paul's saying. He had met the Lord and been instructed by Him, so he wasn't confused or distracted by others' nuanced addendums, 
existential crises or bold assertions. He cut through these like a laser and was teaching Timothy to do the same. He knew Jesus had saved him in order to display his, Jesus' perfect patience to all who would come to believe in and follow him. So he confesses who he had been and what God has done boldly. He's unafraid. I'm the worst sinner that ever lived and God saved me, Paul would say. To prove that no one is beyond his powerful loving reach and to make me witnesses to his people everywhere. And then in the context of that confession, he breaks out in an ecstatic kind of praise. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Once again, we hear Paul's testimony in this about the divinity of Jesus. He's declaring him to be God, the one and only God. All people were called to worship from the beginning. You have to remember, he didn't believe it, and now he does. And he says it fearlessly, clearly, without hesitation, right on the heels of a bold confession of his own struggle and brokenness. Paul's at, Paul, as he is confessing that brokenness, breaks into praise. As he's confessing, breaks into praise. How is it for you? How easy is it or difficult when you're being really honest about ways you've messed up, sins you've committed, the reality of besetting sin, ongoing brokenness, how easy is it for you to be really honest about it? And if you are in that moment, do you feel the freedom to praise God? You see, Failure is a challenging, often painful reality. And there's a drive in us to want to make sense of it. And as a result, we often look for someone or something to blame. Others, ourselves, circumstances, God, or some combination of all of these. And I want to be clear. This is a mistake. To humbly self-assess in order to learn and improve is reasonable, healthy, and responsible. But the blame game is likely played to somehow try and prop up pride or maybe deceive ourselves into lightening the blow of truth. Because whatever we've done or not done, our feelings about that hurt too much. Honesty can hurt. Followers of Jesus, please hear me. Please hear me. Our King has freed us from the need to prop up pride or to deflect the truth so that we can feel better. Amen? Amen. 
He has. To seek consolation through blame would be like walking in a kind of false belief, false teaching, the kind of stuff Paul is warning Timothy to faithfully stand against. And God in his word still calls us to be people who are free to stand in the truth. Propping up our pride, deflecting so that we feel a little less guilty. These things don't result in the freedom that produces love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But humbling ourselves and faithfully walking in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us, that does lead us to love that issues from a pure heart, a forgiven heart, a heart that knows it was wrong and needed a Savior and has one. And in there is a good conscience and a rich, growing, sincere faith. So how do we do something with this? What might that actually look like to take hold of this and apply? Well, let me start by saying something it's not. This is a confession moment for me. It doesn't look like a false belief that I was taught and embraced most of my life growing up. Just suck it up, toughen up, and become toughen up and become more than anyone really bargained for. That was a deception I walked in. I was big, I could growl, I could swear enough to keep people on their feet, on their heels a little bit. That's how I grew up. That's not what Christ would have me be. When do we ever see Jesus behave that way? Never. Consider Paul again. He didn't overcome the enemy by some prideful Alamo-like defensiveness, nor did he manipulate the narrative to make sense of it so we could feel better. Instead, he joyfully humbled himself and broke honest about his his failure and the Savior who forgave him, the greatest of sinners. He just declared it. So here's something important for us to learn from the new man, Paul. How he thought about God was now being driven by who he'd come to understand God to be in the person and work of Jesus. God was not just the one who dwells in unapproachable light. He was imminent and personal with him. And that posture was now driving how he thought about himself and others. It actively compelled his thoughts, his words, his actions. How do you think about God, yourself, others when you've messed up what drives you in those moments when protestant reformer martin luther was a young augustinian monk he was driven by massive feelings of fear and guilt in truth when he considered his failure to be perfect before god he feared god would damn him because of his shortfalls he's actually quoted as saying if it weren't for christ god would be a devil to me 
he was seriously afraid. In response to his angst, his spiritual father eventually made a way for him to study the whole of the scriptures. He actually became a doctor of theology. But in the process of his studies, Luther was shocked to learn of the truth of God's love manifested supremely in the person and the work of Christ. This had tremendous impact on not only his life and thinking, but also the life and thinking of the church at large, affecting literally billions still to this day. There was a 2003 film based on his adult life and conversion. And it had a scene in it wherein he confesses the change he experienced. And here are a few words from it. I think it's helpful. Terrible. Unforgiving. That's how I saw God. Punishing us in this life, committing us to purgatory after death, sentencing sinners to burn in hell for all eternity, but I was wrong. Those who see God as angry do not see Him rightly, but look upon a curtain as if a dark storm cloud has been drawn across his face. If we truly believe that Christ is our Savior, then we have a God of love. And to see God in faith is to look upon his friendly heart. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where He is, there I shall be also. Like Martin Luther, like St. Paul, we need to help one another grow until how we think about God is driven by who God truly is manifested in the person of Jesus. And we need to help one another keep growing until this true picture of God drives how we think about ourselves and others. Actively compelling our thoughts, words, and actions. Humbling ourselves to this end can protect us from false belief and teaching. It can actually help us heal from it. And some of us desperately need that. But it can also as it did with St. Paul. Lead us to rich, healthy worship. Something for which we were created to experience in the freedom Christ purchased for us with his very life. God opposes the proud. Don't hear that as hateful. Hear it as kind. He will not abide pride. It does us no good. So he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Paul experienced and embraced this. We talked last week about how Jesus embraced it. Will we? Will we? Not just talk about it, but I wish I was humble. Well, then let's pursue humility. We have God's word. We have his spirit. We have the sacraments, the church, his body here on earth. 
Let's take full advantage of these. Let's learn from our older brothers and sisters. Let's humble ourselves and grow together. Let's pursue this through life groups, through worship, through serving. Let's grow together until we find ourselves walking in love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere, deep, rich faith. Amen. You've been listening to the Mission Red Bank Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.